Nice to see you all. My name is Renee. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, the scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45, and verses 56 to 58. Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zachariah's house, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and sang out exuberantly. You're so blessed among women, and the babe in your womb also blessed. And why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord visits me? The moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the babe in my womb skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. Blessed woman who believed what God said, believed every word would come true. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then went back to her own home. When Elizabeth was full-term in her pregnancy, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbor and relatives, seeing that God had overwhelmed her with mercy, celebrated with her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. My feet are hurting in the shoes that I had on, so I did. <laughs> but that makes it a little bit difficult for me to see on this lectern. Just a wee bit challenging. I need like... Then I would fall off because I'm just not I'm, not... I'm very clumsy. So what do you hear when you hear that verse? It's familiar, right? Did anything new stand out to you or anything old that stood out to you maybe for a second look? We know it too well, don't we? Anyone? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, Laura asked, where was Mary's mom in all this? It's a very good question. Yes. I think sometimes we are so accustomed to hearing the verses that we lose the wonder. Yes. That's right. Diane says we're so familiar with certain voice, certain verses, we sometimes can lose the wonder and the beauty in them. Anyone else? Yes. Just that there's some verses she came to her and she told her all of this, these things, and then immediately she believed her. There was no questioning. Yeah. No <gasps> yes. It was just, I'm so overjoyed to see you. Yes. Elizabeth remarks on how, I mean, I'm sorry, Li well, Elizabeth too. No, Libby no. remarks, <laughs> Libby <laughs> remarks that Elizabeth just believed her. What a wonderful thing, right, to just be believed. Sam Rayburn was Speaker of the United States House of Representatives longer than any other man in history. I hope that's right. Okay, good. I'm married to a political science professor. I should always run this stuff by him first. There is a story about him that reveals the kind of man he was. The teenage daughter of a friend of his died suddenly one night. 
Early the next morning, the man heard a knock at his door, and when he opened it, Mr. Rayburn was standing outside. The speaker said, I just came by to see what I could do to help. The father replied in his deep grief, I don't think there's anything you can do, Mr. Speaker. We are making all the arrangements. Well, Mr. Rayburn said, have you had your coffee this morning? The man replied that they had not taken time for breakfast. So Mr. Rayburn said that he could at least make coffee for them. While working in the kitchen, the man came in and said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to be having breakfast at the White House this morning. Well, I was, Mr. Rayburn said, but I called the president and told him I had a friend who was in trouble and I couldn't come. Our Advent theme is love. And not only is that our theme in a liturgical sense, but our theme for our Advent, in particular for Imago, is we see God in each other. So this morning we're going to talk about how we can see God in one another. Do you all have friends and family that would drop everything to come see you if you, they need, if you needed them to? Yeah. My first Christmas in Peoria was in the middle of a global pandemic. I didn't know hardly anybody. My child and I were in our little apartment on Frostwood Parkway by ourselves. First Christmas without family, children, except for the one. And I, I was at peace, but there was a little bit of sadness too. So my very best friend, Andy, y'all have heard me talk about her ad nauseum. We've been friends forever, forever. So that Christmas, she sent me a present. That's it. That's a friend. So Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. Luke does not give Mary a traveling companion. This is an 80-mile trip from where she was. But she has no traveling companion. Mom didn't go with her. Or if she did, Luke doesn't tell us. We don't know how she got there. Did she caravan with a group of strangers? Did she ride a donkey? We don't know. Luke doesn't think it's that important that we know that. But this lack of details also can tell us a little something about Mary, is that she's independent and she's resourceful. Any women in the house? I mean, just have to get it done, right? What has to be done has got to be done. Mary arrives at Elizabeth's home, and Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb, and Elizabeth knows that Mary is with child. I want you to notice that Mary did not tell her. An angel did not tell Elizabeth. The Holy Spirit of God told Elizabeth, your cousin's got a baby. And then Elizabeth tells her that she is blessed among all women and that the child she carries is blessed too. I have a coffee cup in my office. I meant to bring it. I won't go get it. Even though that would be very on brand for me to run in there and get it. I won't do that. 
But I have a coffee cup <clears throat> that has, this is macabre for children that are in here, okay? So just hold on for a second. It's got just a man's head and a tent peg uh, punched through it, and it says biblical womanhood. How many of you know the story of J.L.? That's biblical womanhood, right? The story of Deborah and J.L. Deborah's, Deborah's victory song in Judges 5 is perhaps the oldest victory song in the Hebrew Bible. Judges 5, 1 through 31. This is what Deborah has to say about J.L. May J.L. be blessed above all women. Does that ring a bell? May the wife of Heber the Kenite be blessed above all tent-dwelling women. For those of you that don't know, there was an enemy and he was going to kill them all. And rather than see that happen, Jael just lured him into a tent. And when she got him drunk and he was passed out, she took a tent peg into the side of his head. No more war. The enemy was dead. He asked for water and she provided milk. She presented him cream in a majestic bowl. She reached out her hand for the steak her strong hand for the worker's hammer, and she struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his skull. At her feet he sank, fell, and lay flat. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. And Deborah says, she is blessed above all women. There's a story of Judith in the Apocrypha. The story around Judith is she is a daring and beautiful widow who is upset with her Jewish countrymen for not trusting God to deliver them from foreign conquerors. She goes with her loyal maid to the camp of the enemy general, Holofernes, with whom she slowly ingratiates herself, promising him information about the Israelites. Gaining his trust, she is allowed access to his tent one night as he lies in a drunken stupor, she decapitates him and takes his head back to her fearful countrymen. The Assyrians, having lost their leader, disperse and Israel is saved. Though she is courted by many, Judith remains unmarried for the rest of her life. And this is what is said of Judith. Then the high priest Joachim and the council of the Israelites who lived in Jerusalem came to witness the good things that the Lord had done for Israel and to see Judith and to wish her well. When they met her, they all blessed her with one accord and said to her, You are the glory of Jerusalem. You are the great boast of Israel. You are the great pride of our people. You are blessed among women. May the Almighty Lord bless you forever. And all the people said, Amen. Kelly Nicandia says, Deborah and Judith did what men could not do, act decisively amid disarray. Now songs were written about these women. Narratives were told repeatedly about their valor and their ability to outwit enemy warriors with their courageous and clever use of female power. Mary too was blessed of all women. Same phrase, same phrase. But she would be different. Deborah and Judith were blessed, but had a commonality that revolved around violence. Mary's wouldn't be that way. Her commonality, she had no commonality other than she was blessed like them, but her outcome would not be violence. He would not commit violence. 
everyone hearing of Elizabeth's song beginning, they would assume they knew how it ended. It was the same song as Deborah and Judith. But Elizabeth's song had a twist. Mary would embody nonviolent participation in the advent of God's peace. Advent ushered in a new era in which women are blessed for their acts of peace, not participation in violence. From generation to generation, women being blessed of God. And that brings us to the Magnificat. And Mary said, With all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. I think sometimes I do this too. Some of these scriptures are like, yeah, I know that one. We've read that a thousand times. I get it. I get it. But then when you look a little bit closer, we realize maybe we don't get it at all. Because there's a reason she says that God has become her Savior. She is calling on God to deliver her and her people from oppression, from hunger. She's calling on her God to overturn the stations of the privileged and the powerful because... They do not care about her and her people's hunger and oppression. In one translation I read, it says, To confess that God is our Savior means that we will not look to some other power for salvation from the chaos we have created. Neither technology, nor social progress, nor education, nor legislated reforms will deliver us in and of themselves from meaningless lives and the various forms of rapid degradation in our society. God may use any of those processes, but the basis of our trust, hope, and commitment should be clear. God is ours. The Roman government could not save them. They were not saving them. They were not protecting them. Only God could deliver them. Minute, small little tangent that I need to go on because it's everywhere I look nowadays. For the life of me, I will never understand why this Christian nationalism has become what it has become. It is disgusting. It is not okay. We don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. I don't care where we are on any kind of spectrum of belief from conservative to moderate to progressive. Christian nationalism is just not a thing. Not according to the Word. Not according to Jesus. Nowhere in the Scriptures, and especially in Mary's story and in the Gospels, are we told to join forces with our government and to make it into what we perceive as God's image. Pay taxes, obey laws, yes. Work within government to pass humane and safe laws, yes. Work within government to offer protective laws for the marginalized among us. Yes, to make our government into an image of God that is not biblical nor humane and we're not even commanded by God to do it? Absolutely not. Mary says, He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Someone show me in the government who now is doing this pulling powerful people down from thrones and lifting up the lowly. I can get behind that. 
Mary says, He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. Show me a politician who sees hungry people in our country as Mary does. I'm in. Don't ever let a pastor, me, a Sunday school teacher, a family member, or a news organization tell you that the Bible does not talk about politics and therefore the the church should not. Politics is all over the Bible. I read an article this past week entitled, Can Rich Christians Sing the Magnificat? The rich people that Mary is passing an indictment on are those who have no mercy or compassion. Rich people, people of means that do not have mercy and compassion over people that have less than them. That is who Mary is calling out. She's not calling out rich people, period. Sometimes we get it in our head that God doesn't like rich people very much. Jesus doesn't like them very much. That's not true. What God, Jesus, Mary speaks against is people that have means but do not help those less fortunate than them. That is what's called out in the Bible. That is what Mary is calling out. I had someone reach out to me some years ago, a very wealthy person, and they were feeling very guilty that they had all this wealth and what do I do? And I know this person to be a person that gives generously to people less than this person. Consistently. And I said two things to this person. Number one, the fact that you are even asking me that says you care. And that you're already doing those things for people that are less fortunate than you, I think you're okay. The rest, the fuzzy part, that's between you and God to decide. Mary in her Magnificat points out those who would say, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and so should you. The people that say, it was hard for me to do everything I I did to work where I got, so you should, I don't feel bad for you. Those are the people Mary's calling out because guess what? You and I don't have the same kind of bootstraps. Some of us have different kind of bootstraps. My husband, and I asked his permission before, before I shared this. I didn't have to. I could have just, I'm kidding. I did ask permission. <laughs> Terry grew up with a single mom, with a father that he didn't meet. Well, that's a whole other story. He didn't meet his real father to his 30s, so there was no child support working the best she could to make sure he had food to eat. There was a lot of instability in the home. At 15, he decided, I've had enough. I'm going to college. So he graduated early. He went to college, and he did his thing. Now, here's the thing about Terry's bootstraps. Yeah, that was hard. I'm sure there was a lot of that that was not easy. But Terry's bootstraps were male, white, resourceful, and smart. I have one of those. (laughs) We don't have the same bootstraps. If you're in this room and you're listening online, 
and you have some wealth and you are helping people with less, even if you don't have that much, but what little bit you do have, you're, you're helping. $5 here, $5 there. Mary's not talking to you. God is her Savior. So Elizabeth and Mary spend three months together. Can you, have you ever thought about what their conversations must have been like? A geriatric woman and a very young woman. We can have conversations later about whether or not she was a virgin. We won't get into that today. But a very young woman. Can you imagine the conversations, the body changes, the hormonal impulses, the morning sickness, all those things, the fear and the anxiety? What do you think they talked about? Nick and Dia imagines that they spoke of the oral traditions of their forefathers and foremothers. And here's the thing. This was a people that, that were mainly relying on oral traditions. And so at some point, three months is a long time. So we, we're not going to talk about that forever, right? At some point you want to have another conversation about other things. And so Nick and Dia imagines that they began to talk about the generations past. Some of those stories. Maybe Hannah, maybe Sarah, maybe Haggai. Together they did the work of theology, she likes to imagine, in cooperation and communal engagement, gestating God's peace, which reversed the unjust order. The Maccabean revolt was only about, was less than 200 years before them. We don't have time to go into the Maccabean revolt. We are going to do that in January though, so hold tight to that thought. The hymns from that period, from less than 200 years, were of nationalistic salvation, revenge, and violence. Those were the hymns that would have been in front of them. But these mothers of Advent... They knew their sons were going to be different. Their sons would not be singing about vindictiveness, justice, peace, hope, light, redemption would be their boys' tunes. Later, when Jesus is grown, grown man, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Now I want you to listen to this Isaiah passage, okay? from the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. But this is how Jesus would quote it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What did Jesus leave out? He left out the vengeance part. He left out the wrath of God. Jesus also said these words in Nazareth. Where was his mother from? Nazareth. 
I like to imagine that she heard him say that on that day. And she thought, well, okay, all right. That's what me and Elizabeth sensed when we were pregnant together. We sensed this is going to be different. Maybe this is what it is. Jesus begins preaching about a God of liberation and justice and love. We see God in each other. Mary and Elizabeth sure did. They were a comfort to one another. They were a mirror for one another. They were healing for one another. Healing for frayed nerves, anxiety, fear. What Libby was sharing this morning from Richard Rohr, she sent a little piece of that to me, and we all know the adage that says hurting people hurt people, right? And the inverse is healed people heal people. You and I need healing in areas. We do. I do. I, I don't hardly get through a week without being confronted in an area of my life that needs a little bit of healing. Most of the times, it's from a poor response that I've had to something. Healing people heal. Healed people heal people. We see God in one another, especially when we are actively seeking and working through our own healing. We see God in each other. We've got to learn to see people as made in the image of God and beloved of God. Now, Mago Day, name of our beloved community, is the Latin translation of the original Hebrew. But I want to take us back to the original Hebrew of the image of God. And it is Salam Elohim. So where we would say Imago Day, the Hebrews would say Salam Elohim. It means image of God. The word salam is literally a shadow, which is the outline or representation of the original. We see God in one another when we see the person in front of us, no matter who that person is. This is where our healing needs to come in, friends. Whether it's someone who has hurt you, someone who has hurt someone you love, oh man, that gets this mama bear every time. Don't hurt my children. Someone who is not straight or cisgendered as you. Someone whose bootstraps look different from yours. Someone whose name is Biden or Trump. As Salam Elohim. As a representation of God. As the shadow of God, as someone made in the image of God and beloved of God. Who do you and I need to be reminded that they are made in the Salem Elohim this Christmas? A family member, a friend, a co-worker. We have to be reminded of our interconnectedness. We need each other. We need each other. I'm going to offer a challenge to all of you this week and to me as well. Probably one of the busiest weeks of our entire year. But here's a challenge. I want you and I to notice 
where we see God in someone else this week. (laughs) Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in the grocery store. How many of you have been in a grocery store line with a mama who's got little babies in a cart and they are going just bat crazy? Right? Right? And you'll watch somebody that's been there, done that a long time ago, but they know what that's like and they're like distracting the kids and they're like, hey, what's her name? Is that Ivy? Ivy, you're so sweet. You're so cute. Just so mama can get her groceries and get out the dang door. My heavens. That is God in somebody. (laughs) Do you see someone at Target? You turn the aisle and you see an employee just like, oh God. And you watch somebody, somebody random and say, just give them a pat on the back. Say, it's almost over. You got it. And you go, that was God. That was God in that person. At church. You see somebody shed a tear or two and it was only meant for your eyes to see and you made a phone call, you wrote a card, you sent a text. Some of you are so good at this. Just my heavens, you're so good at this. A little card that says, I saw your tear. I love you. I'm praying for you. Where will you see God in someone this week? And I'm going to challenge you a little bit further, and me a little bit further. If you are willing to share, would you post it on Facebook this week? You don't have to give us a novel. You can say, I was in Target and I saw this. I was in Target and I felt the Spirit of God compel me to say this, to do this, to help distract Ivy. You don't have to. I just want us to encourage one another to look for the Salem Elohim in the other, wherever they are. I think if we would just pay attention we would be astonished at all the ways we see God in other people. Because you know what? God really is one of us. Pray with me this morning. May God who comes to us in the things of this world bless your eyes and be in your seeing. May Christ who looks upon you with deepest love bless your eyes and widen your gaze. May the Spirit who perceives what is and what may yet be Bless your eyes and sharpen your vision. May the sacred three bless your eyes and cause you to see. In the name of Jesus, amen.